Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to the animated series Star Wars Resistance. Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest broadcast of Radio Dakar. I am your host, Doug Brooks, and this episode is a book review. I've talked about it on previous podcasts, and I am ready to do this. Mostly it will be about books that will relate to Star Wars Resistance, because that's what this show is about. But uh, before that, I will touch on just Star Wars publishing in general, and where we are with that. And also have a quick review of uh, Thrawn Alliances, which I just finished. So the thing about the Star Wars books, that could be the novels, the comics, the young readers, uh, just whatever, beyond the movies, it's not essential to watch, to enjoy the movies or the TV shows, but it just adds a lot of background. You get to meet new characters who sometimes do pop up, and in some cases they do really good tie-ins, so that before the one of the movies is about to come out, they do a kind of almost a prequel book. That way, some of the characters you're going to meet in the movies, you can find out more about in the books. And I can talk about that in a minute, because I was going to do a quick summary of where we've been the last four years as far as the publishing. I've talked about it, it was on the first podcast, about how when Disney bought Lucasfilm in October of 2012... They declared all previous works, as far as the novels, to be legends. It's still out there, you can still buy it, but we're not, they said basically that we're not going to delve into that as official stories for what we do in the future. They have said, and they've done it, that they can cherry pick out of those and use little elements here and there. Solo, a Star Wars story, was a really good example of that because a lot of the Easter egg name drops like planets and situations came out of those Legends books. And a lot of people uh, noticed those immediately. As I said, I, even though I started strong with Heir to the Empire, that trilogy, and a lot of books in the mid-90s, it just got a little overwhelming for me, so I quit reading, um... Not that I thought the quality was bad, it just got out of hand for me and I didn't have the time. So after the Disney purchase, they declared the official canon is all the movies, the second Clone Wars series, there there was one, and I can't remember if I mentioned it previously or not, it was 2D animation, but and it was released between episodes 2 and 3. Those don't count because they were contradicted by the later Clone Wars series. But it's the movies, the animated Clone Wars movie, the Clone Wars series, and it was there was a Darth Maul comic book uh, released by Dark Horse at the end of their run. They transferred that over to the new canon, even though Marvel has the publishing rights now, because it was a continuation of what he did in Clone Wars. And also is good filler if you've seen Solo. But that was the only canon they said would carry over. Everything else was fair game to redo. So they took a little bit of a break, just getting reorganized. Of course, The Force Awakens came out in 2015, but in 2014, 
the first publication we got that was of the new canon was A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller. It was the story of how Harris and Dula met Kanan Jarrus before the Rebel series. So it served as a prequel to that series. And it was paid off in later seasons with a hints of their relationship and who Kanan had been previously when he was a Padawan. But that's what kicked it off. And everything since then, like I say, has mostly tied in to the movies and series they've done. But there also have been some carryover uh, there was a book, Heir to the Jedi, by Kevin Hearn, which was going to be published under the old way, I guess you could say. Um, so they decided to keep that one, and it was published as a canon book. And then Dark Disciple by Christy Golden, about Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss, was unused, episode, partially it was unused episodes, for the Clone Wars, written by Katie Lucas, George's daughter, and Christie filled it in and made it into a novel form. So that helped them get through uh, some early times. Um, Tarkin by James Luceno came out very early too. I think that was maybe the second one I read. So between 2014 and now, late 2018, I have read all the adult novels and all the young adult novels. There's a lot of young readers. Uh, particularly the Servants of the Empire series, which tied into Rebels, that I have not read. That's my main gap in the new canon reading. I plan to read Join the Resistance, uh, which has only been out a couple of years, I think. There's three books in that series, but they could tie into the Resistance show, so I thought it'd be important. Plus, uh, I thought my son would enjoy it, uh, since he's getting into school and, and likes to read more. There are just lots of good books out there to read if you haven't really started with that. I can make some recommendations. The best one, in my opinion, is Lost Stars by Claudia Gray, and we're going to talk about her again. I believe I mentioned it before on one of the books. It follows two Imperial officers from the same planet who basically were background characters to the major events of the original trilogy and then the climax of the book is the Battle of Jakku so that was the first time we got exposed to that but just to see how seamlessly Claudia worked the characters into scenes we already know and what part they played it was just brilliant it's a good way to really get started with the new way of storytelling that Disney wants to do because it's the familiar scenes but you get a new perspective and it does advance the story hopefully there's a sequel who knows she does have Master and Commander not not Master and Commander that's a movie Master and Apprentice which uh, will be about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon coming out next year she did and I'll mention this book too she did that as a short story for their later point in life and from a certain point of view and it was excellent too so there's Lost Stars Lords of the Sith by Paul Kemp that was one of the early ones I think I read it in early 2015 that's the quickest I've read any of these books I finished it in about two days it's about uh, Darth Sidious, Emperor Palpatine and Darth Vader on Ryloth 
when they encounter um, resistance fighters led by Chamsundula, Hera's father. It is just an amazing good read. I would highly recommend that one. Catalyst by James Luceno was a prequel book for Rogue One. It tells you the relationship between Galen Erso and director Krennic, how they came to work together, and how the family wound up in hiding on Lamu, which is the planet we see at the beginning of Rogue One. It also goes deeper into the Empire's hunt for the remaining kyber crystals to build the super laser for the Death Star, and gives a good explanation as to why it took 20 years to finish the Death Star when the second one didn't take as long. So, Lost Stars, Lords of the Sith, Catalyst, Rebel Rising by Beth Revis was a really pleasant surprise. It's more of a young reader. It came out after Rogue One, and it tells us uh, the history of Jyn Erso, from the time that Saw Gerrera rescues her out of the hiding place on Lamu to when she winds up in the Wobani prison. It's just a great book. It made me more sympathetic to her, and it really enhances your viewing of Rogue One because you realize what she had to go through to get to that point in life. Chuck Wendig's Aftermath series, I believe, is essential just for finding out what's happened in the sequel era. And we may have some tie-ins with John Favreau's live-action series. I, I don't know if there'll be any references to things, but I, I think Aftermath is essential to read just so you know what, what the state of the galaxy is in, in this time period. And the last one I'll recommend is From a Certain Point of View, which was a collection of short stories they did last year for Star for the New Hope's 40th anniversary. It takes minor slash background characters, and they brought in tons of authors to just do short stories involving those characters. It's fun. Uh, there's very emotional stories. There's some that are very quirky. You get every any kind of story you want is in there, and it's very entertaining. Plus, for the audiobook, they got different people to do the to read them, so it's not the same author reading every story, and that helps make it makes it up, lighten it up. It's it's required reading for sure. So those are the other ones that I'll recommend. Again, I did just finish Thrawn Alliances. I greatly enjoyed the first Thrawn book, which came out last year. I hope some of the things in there get paid off with uh, Thrawn's uh, Imperial Confidant, Eli Vanto, has uh, gone off to join the Chiss Ascendancy in the Unknown Regions. I don't know if that'll come back to play in episode 9 or in one of the canon novels or the TV series. It, that would be neat. So anyway, Thrawn Alliances, the reason I was interested in it for this broadcast is because Thrawn and, well, both Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker. Let me back up. And I mentioned it on uh, the previous uh, podcast uh, for the episode 9 casting that it's two different timelines. 
where Thrawn meets Anakin during the Clone Wars, and they go on a mission together because Padme has gone on her own mission, and uh, they want to make sure she's okay. And then years later, Thrawn and Darth Vader are sent by Palpatine on a mission. Both involve the same planet. Uh, the Clone Wars time period, it, there's a reference to Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order, so we know it's after Season 5, but we don't know exactly where after that it fits, but the war is definitely not over. And then uh, the timeline with Vader takes place between Rebels Season 3 and Season 4 because they reference the Battle of Adalon and what happened there with the Bindu and Kanan. So it does a good job getting your mindset exactly where it needs to be for where this is all taking place. In both cases, Thrawn goes with Vader slash Anakin to Batuu, which, as I've mentioned several times, is the planet that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at the parks, Disneyland and Disney World, is being based on. They're building Black Spire Outpost, which kind of like Moss Eisley. Uh, they'll be, they're building ships that'll be docked there, including the Millennium Falcon. And uh, a bar is a prominent location in the book. So uh, I'm hoping they had shown Timothy Zahn some sketches of that. And he said, okay, I'll put that in the book. So hopefully something like that. And that way, you know, you can do a quick service <laughs> dining there or something. If, if you um, know what that means by attending the parks. And there should be shops and everything. So it's like a—I think I believe the official description was—it's a place—it's a place for people to go hide uh, from the growing threat of the First Order. The signage and characters there will be consistent with the se uh, sequel era, particularly really close to Force Awakens. So I was hoping, when reading the book, that there would be hints of later events or just the situation of the galaxy on Batuu. There wasn't really. It was just a chance for them to get you familiar with the planet, and so that went, that way when the uh, park is open next year, you'd be like, oh, we've already heard about that planet. They've already, and I mentioned this again, uh, they did include it as a destination during the Star Tours ride. I got to see it. In that medium... Uh, it is spectacular, uh, just very hilly, um, highly populated, uh, so hopefully we'll get that portrayed as the park is being developed, and it sure looks like it from the pictures. It was I, We went to Disney in June, it was still being built, um, obviously, but there was enough there to where you could see how immense it's going to be. I'm hoping Batu shows up on Resistance. That would be an, another great way to tie it in. So we'll have to see about that. So, yeah, even though Batu's in the book, it it's just about what the current situation is. The reason... Now, with the Clone Wars arc of the story, that there's not really any other reference. It There's a specific agenda in that one, but the Emperor is has detected a dark presence in the Force in the Unknown Regions, and that's why he sends Thrawn and Vader to Batu. So my first thought was, maybe this has to do with Snoke, because there's references to that in Aftermath, 
that. That was part of Palpatine's grand plan uh, to seek out those forces. And Thrawn had made references in the first book to things that could be a threat to the Empire. So I was hoping maybe we would get greater hints of uh, Snoke and what eventually becomes the First Order under his guidance. Uh, without spoiling it, it is not Snoke. It is something else involving the Force. I like what it turns out to be, and the story itself is is good, especially the way the kind of the MacGuffins or the reasons for going on the mission kind of converge in the two timelines and make sense from one to the other. The book itself is fine. It just doesn't really have anything to do with what would happen later on in the Force Awakens era, so to say, other than it's our first look at Batu. So it's it's still a good book. Uh, I liked I did like the first Thrawn better. That came out last year. So if you just really like that character, I would um, definitely read both books. That's enough about that. All right, let's get to why I did this podcast today, and that is review of Bloodline and Phasma. The reason these two books are important is because, and I talked in more detail about it on the second podcast, there's a lot of great new characters in both books that I'm hopeful will show up on Resistance. Um, and this, the reason this podcast is, got delayed a little bit is because we finally got the first look at Resistance on Friday. I'm recording this on Monday. And we got confirmation of who the, who is playing who as far as the new characters. So as far as the main cast goes, none of them are playing characters from these books. They're all new characters with the exception of uh, General Leia, which was kind of a surprise announcement. So, I won't get, especially with the characters in Bloodline, I won't rehash what I already talked about in Episode 2 about who might show up. Needless to say, they're not in the main cast, but they could still show up in the background or make cameos because of their importance. So, I will start with Bloodline by Claudia Gray. This book came out... It's been more than a year. It came out probably after Rogue One. Anyway, it came out after The Force Awakens. So we already have been introduced to the the New Republic and its waning time, the First Order and all that. So this was our first chance to see what the state of the galaxy was truly like with the Republic having been reformed and what this growing threat was. So, Claudia Gray gave us this story of Leia and how she created the Resistance. Now, for this one, I will get into spoilers because a lot of what we found out we know by now from the movies. Uh, So it's nothing that's it would ruin the book. Uh, The fun is in how Leia finds us out. With Phasma, I will try to avoid some spoilers because there are some neat twists that you deserve to find out as you're reading. But So these are both recommended for different reasons. Uh, Phasma for the fun and the twist, and Bloodline for the background of the galaxy 
and why it's important in The Force Awakens and Last Jedi, and probably in Episode Nine. And for the purpose of this podcast, why they relate to Resistance. So, most of Bloodline takes place on Hosnian Prime, which, again, was the planet destroyed by Starkiller Base. I know there was conf- some confusion about that. It, you know, to a lot of people it looked like Coruscant, and, you know, it makes sense that the old Imperial capital and the old Republic capital would be the new Republic capital. Well, in other literature they explained that, and also it's in Aftermath, that when they created the New Republic, they decided to move the capital every few years. At the beginning of the New Republic, it was Chandrilla, which is Mon Mothma's home world. So I remember when I was watching Force Awakens, because I had already read Aftermath, I figured that was Chandrilla that was destroyed. And then later in the movie, they mentioned the Hosnian system, but it wasn't emphasized, so some people were still confused. Anyway, so Hosnian Prime is the capital of the Republic, and this book takes place six years before The Force Awakens. So it's been the capital at least that long. Also, and we just found this out, it hasn't been confirmed by Lucasfilm or Disney, but, and I wish I could uh, bring up the tweet because I would uh, give them credit for it. Actually, I have the tweet here, so I will cite him. Uh, Jose Ruiz, at Darth underscore Hardy, noticed in the coding for the trailer on StarWars.com that it says that Resistance takes place six months before The Force Awakens. Which kind of eliminates some of the stuff I talked about in a previous episode because I figured we would have all six years to play around with. Now that's fine because there's a lot of stuff that can happen in six months before the movie. That could also mean that later seasons take place after the movies. Because we will be in the middle of Season 2 of Resistance when Episode 9 comes out. And then it's fair game to show what happens after that. So that's cool and something we didn't really expect. Um, It could be, if any of you watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. uh, set in the Marvel Universe, it just had the agents doing their usual thing as we saw in Iron Man and... Um, uh, the event, the first Avengers movie. But then, when Captain America, the Winter Soldier, came out in the theater, and the big Hydra twist was revealed, they sh- used that to change the entire tone of the series the next episode. So you literally had to make sure you saw Captain America and then watch the next week's episode, and then they changed the plot because of the Hydra twist. So I wonder if it'll be something like that with Resistance, where first season is that first six months, and then maybe the first few episodes of season two, or they just, uh, maybe those first few episodes of season two are during The Force Awakens and Last Jedi, and then they move on to post-episode nine content after that. That will be interesting to see. So it also depends on how long after The Last Jedi episode nine takes place. You know, if it's four years later, there's four years of material they can use leading up to what we know will happen. And that way we get a Clone Wars effect. Because they did, after next year, they will have done six seasons of Clone Wars for a three-year war, whose ending we know. So, 
that's I, I know I'm getting off track with the book review but that sets us up for where we are in resistance so bloodline is really background material now because we're looking at six years before the resistance has not been formed yet it does not get formed till the end of the book again it's not a huge spoiler because we you know we know what the galaxy is like at that point another interesting thing about bloodline is that Ryan Johnson helped with some topics in it and some themes he was he had already been hired to write and direct the last Jedi while the force awakens was being finished uh, I was I think I read that he turned in his first draft the day of the force awakens premiere so he was so far in advance with this that he did help Claudia Gray with some of the material in the book and one of the things he helped with and it this was has not been alluded to in the movies at all is that there are two parties or factions in the New Republic government in the Senate you have the populists who are more about giving the uh, autonomy and authority to the p uh, people of the planetary systems and then the centrists who want like a stronger central government and a better military and Leia is Leia Organa is senator of the Alderaan region obviously Alderaan's not a planet anymore but she's a senator over that area and she is a centrist she wants more power for the people no, I'm sorry I had that backwards she is a populist so her rivals in the Senate are the centrists so one of the things about the New Republic is that they didn't have a chancellor per se and that by the way I am I need to give a big shout out to Wikipedia it's starwars.wikia.com it has been a long time since I read or listened to either of these books so I am referring to their plot summary for the details um, so I as I do this I am scanning back over and so Leia is kind of torn you know she realizes the rift that's happening in the Senate she's thinking about stepping down as a senator because she's been a polit other than during the Civil War she's been a politician her whole life and then they decided to create a new position called first senator it's kind of like speaker of the uh, not speaker of the house well speaker of the house or um, the head of the senate like in the, the united states government and so uh, the book involves you know who's going to be nominated to uh, in each party for that position meanwhile Leia is finding out about this rising criminal threat in like a military movement uh, within the galaxy. What it turns out is the First Order, but she doesn't know that. That's the first hint that something has been developed in these outer regions. Leia starts investigating uh, this criminal cartel led by uh, someone called Rinriven Dai and once that investigation gets ramped up there's an incident incident called the napkin bombing which uh, it's a, a dinner for some centrists and then when Leia sits down to eat 
she notices a mess a handwritten message on a napkin that says run so she's able to get people out and, and I said centrist again they're the populists populists are Leia's group so she she's able to get everybody out nobody's killed but the incident it causes more strife in the Senate, and they think it's tied to her investigation of Riven Riven Die. This isn't confirmed. We do know that Ryan Johnson, he said on Twitter that he suggested the napkin bombing. In the visual guide for The Last Jedi, we find out that when he was a Padawan, Ben Solo took up calligraphy. And it's mentioned in the book that not very many people write, like handwrite in the, the Star Wars galaxy. It's all data pads and stuff like that. So, at the, at the time of this book, Ben, as far as we know, is still with Luke at the training temple. He has not turned to the dark, fully turned to the dark side yet. That it, the flashback scene in The Last Jedi has not happened. So, the only person we know who could have written the run note was Ben. So that that's, has yet to be explained, but it's interesting. You know, was this a early hint of the First Order trying to strike at the Senate, but Ben didn't want his mom to die? Had Snoke already had his influence on him? The, like I say, that has yet to be, be explained, but that is, was a major part of the book. Alright, so moving on, Leia continues her investigation. There is um, an, ar um, an artifacts dealer named Arliz Hadrassian. Uh, because one of Leia's political rivals, uh, Ransom Casterfo, collects Imperial remnants like uh, Royal Guard helmets and stuff like that, which offends Leia because he's you know, she fought against them, and her father was one of them. And here, and here, Ransom is just collecting these like they're fascinating trinkets. So the the investigation leads to the Amaxine Warriors, which was a long ago military force, but they've been reorganized into this modern paramilitary organization. And with the help of Joff Seastriker and Greer Sonnell and other associates, all of whom I mentioned in Episode 2, and who I hope are on Resistance because they're great characters, they head to the planet... Um, they go to a planet called Sibensko. Now, on Sibensko is a massive military buildup funded by Rin Riven Dai uh, through his dealings. And Leia goes there to investigate. Uh, Joff and the others uh, manage to get some of the explosives off and keep them for themselves. Uh, but, long story short, they destroy the base on Sabinsko, but along with it, any evidence of this rising military power so when Leia goes to the Senate to explain this, you know, they don't believe her. 
uh, since there's no evidence. And Casterfo, uh, through his dealings with um, Arlise Adrasian, knows it's true as well. So he, over the course of the book, he does become an ally. But the Senate, on the whole, refuses to recognize this threat. And then the, I've given a very brief um, summary of the book. <clears throat> There's also the fact that as Leia is preparing to run for first senator, to destroy her credibility, it's revealed to everyone that she is the daughter of Darth Vader through a message that Bell Organa had left to her years ago and that she just now received. So her standing in the New Republic government is fractured and is another catalyst for her forming the resistance with her, um, the people who are loyal to her, Akbar, Nian Numba from before, and then Joff, Greer, Corsella, uh, all these new people, Snap Wexley and the other pilots uh, who we meet at the end. So I think without spoiling anything else that's the gist of the book it's it's a great mystery novel as you try to figure out what's going on again it's highly recommended anything by Claudia Gray that she has written for Star Wars is recommended she has done an amazing job uh, she has two Leia books now the other one is Princess of Alderaan which uh, takes place when Leia is 16 thereabouts so it's before A New Hope that's the first time we get to see um, Emmeline Holdo. So I read read that story before seeing the movie. And it made her sacrifice in The Last Jedi even more powerful because we know what she had come from. And we also got to see Crate in the book. So as I said, the books aren't essential to seeing the movies, but there's just so much information they add that it enhances your experience. I'm trying to think if there was anything else that I needed to mention from Bloodline. So, again, it's about the rising threat of the First Order. And it really pays off what I did. Like I say, I read this after seeing The Force Awakens when it came out. And then after I saw The Last Jedi... I had some questions about it because I wanted to go back and read it again uh, to see if there was anything that paid off in The Last Jedi. And with an almost six-year-old and a eight-month-old in the house, it is over the last couple of years it has been very difficult to read books, uh, except for the young readers like Join the Resistance uh, that I can share with the boys. I have turned to audiobooks because I have the time with my travel to work. And that, that's a, just a great new experience uh, to listen to those. So I, even though I had read it, I bought the audiobook for Bloodline so that I could give myself a refresher. And that's where you realize things about how apathetic the ga uh, galaxy was to the threat because that pays off in the the crawl of the last Jedi when it talks about the the first order reigns that has taken over 
all these other systems. We don't see that in the movie, but you know, since people were just not ready for this threat based on bloodline, that that's why the first order was able to to conquer some systems so easily. But the real payoff is all the stuff with DJ. I know he was a give it or take it character uh, in some reviews, but what he teaches Finn and Rose about the 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 rich people in the galaxy and they just want to make money. They don't care who they're funding, whether it's the First Order or the Resistance. That that was those seeds were laid in this book with what we get with Ridden Riven Dice Cartel and the Maxine Warriors and the building of the forces on Sibinsko, which in some ways were a distraction to just generate chaos so that the First Order could sweep in like they did in the movies. But also it was what we've been hearing about after the remnants of the Empire made it to the Unknown Regions, what were they building up? How did they get all the resources to build Starkiller Base and these massive Star Destroyers and the Supremacy, which was their mobile command center? That's how, from these cartels and people who were just in it for the money. And that's why it's important to read this book, so you get all of that background, as well as how the Resistance started with Leia and the most loyal people to her in a hangar and how we get to the base on Dakar and what we will be seeing on Resistance even though we're moving from a not graphic or anything but from in many ways an adult novel just because of the impact of it to a kids show it's still going to pay off to have read it so if you get a chance between now and October 7th please uh, get this book either read it or listen to it it will help your understanding of the state of the galaxy when we get to watch Resistance and why Poe's out recruiting people uh, to f- help fight this threat. Now, moving on to Phasma. Again, I will not go as deep into this because I don't want to get into spoilers uh, because there are so many fun twists. I will get into one just because of why I like this book so much. So... I don't know if it was part of the backlash because, you know, Phasma was perceived as such a weak character in uh, The Force Awakens. You know, she was didn't really do much. She was just overtaken and got thrown in the garbage compactor. But between this novel and a four-issue comic series that was released around the same time, we got more on Phasma. The comic series was about how she escaped the trash compactor and the destruction of Starkiller Base and wound up back with the First Order for us to see her in The Last Jedi. So it fills in that gap. The book is told in flashback form from a uh, First Order ship. Um, a Resistance spy named Vi Marathi, who I mentioned on Episode 2, I hope she is on Resistance because she is such a cool character, uh, she's just laid back, even though she's in deep, deep trouble when she's captured. She plays as cool as she can. Spoiler, she does survive the book. So, she, Phasma takes place in a few years before First Force Awakens, but we're not totally sure. So, I'm hoping that Vice uh, makes it in, onto the show, since she did survive the book. Uh, she is captured by a Crimson Armored Stormtrooper named Cardinal. 
So imagine Phasma, but instead of the chrome, it's red with a black cape. He is, and I mentioned it before, he trains the young stormtroopers. Also some background. The stormtrooper, and Finn mentioned it in Force Awakens, the stormtroopers are taken at a very young age into the First Order and trained to be stormtroopers. Almost like how the Jedi Padawans were when they were taken from their families, when they were determined to be Force-sensitive. So the you know, the Stormtrooper cadets are raised up, and they are trained by Cardinal, who then, at this point in time, graduates them, so to say, along to Phasma for the exact uh, military regimen training. And that's how, you know, like Finn would uh, be with her battalion on uh, Jakku when they uh, attacked the village at the beginning. So, Cardinal has Vi captured. And all he cares about, he just wants to know what she knows about Phasma and where she came from. So, it flashes back to the planet Parnassus, which is where Phasma's from. And then it goes back to Cardinal talking to Vi. Again, I, I, I will not go into heavy spoilers here because... The fun of this book is the twists. And Cardinal's a great character. I love Vi. Um, but the rest it takes place on Parnassus in the past. I think it's... Again, I listened to it almost a year ago. I think it was about six... No, either 12 or 16 years before. So Phasma's younger, but still uh, very much an adult warrior. Parnassus is an interesting planet because it's very like post-apocalyptic. Uh, it was compared to Mad Max, that sort of world. To me, and I don't know if anybody remembers this, but uh, I grew up, besides Star Wars, I loved Masters of the Universe. And the He-Man action figures came with little mini-comics. The first few that were actually written by Marvel. And when they did the cartoon for Masters of the Universe, Eternia wasn't it was portrayed as this just alien royal world and then you know prince adam became he-man but in the comic book eternia there was m much evidence that there was this great great war and a lot of technology was destroyed and they've reverted to just brutality and some mysticism and so he-man he meets the sorceress at Castle Grayskull, so you have the magic and the mysticism there with the power sword, but she gives him access to old machinery that was used before the, the battle and the war. That was the first thing I thought of when I started, when, once we got into the scenes on Parnassus. They were very barbaric. Uh, masks are a, a part of their culture. That's why Phasma makes sense for her to wear the helmet later on when she's in Stormtrooper armor. One spoiler I will not give away is we find out why she has the armor that she does. But when we meet her, it, she's masked and just wearing clothes, has more rudimentary weapons. And you get the hint that there was something apocalyptic that happened on Parnassus to get them to that point in their civilization. And then 
they encounter a crashed First Order ship, and aboard is Brendel Hux, who is the father of General Hux from the movies. And he recognizes Phasma's leadership ability and toughness, and is asking for, for help to get off the planet. And so they have to take him to a different part of the planet where they think he might be able to because his ship is beyond repair. And he grows increasingly more interested in her from a military point of view. And long story short, makes the decision to take her with him to be his stormtrooper captain. So what we find out about Parnassus is that it was settled by the Constar Mining Company many years ago, like before the Clone Wars. And their equipment, in long story short, caused a like a, nu- a nuclear meltdown and laid a lot of things to waste. There was just bits of the technology left. And then the survivors formed their own fiefdoms in, in, in some way. Uh, there is um, a, basically a little city that they visit uh, that is settled by another group. And then Phasma had her fam- uh, family and her, her group. They were at a, a war with uh, this other group. It kind of reminded me of the Dharma Corporation and Lost, where they settled in this remote area, and then horrible things happened, so there's only little bits of it left. So... Parnassus, it's my favorite planet of any of the new books. Just because of what happened and how their civilization developed. And so again, um, trying to be vague so I don't give away too much. So we learn why Phasma is as tough as she is and uh, where her leadership ability came from and why she was so desired to join the First Order by Brendelhux. That's why it's a shame that she was pretty much discarded in The Last Jedi. Yes, she had the awesome fight with Finn, and you know you got to see her after the mask was broken. And I mentioned in the Episode 9 casting podcast that Gwendolyn Christie is not on the cast list for Episode 9, so if that's the way she went out, I mean, that's a shame. She was so awesome in this book, and they played her up as such a secondary character. In, in the vein of Boba Fett and Darth Maul, to an extent. Spoilers. But this is a great book to read. It's more important for Resistance because of... The only hint of the Resistance you get is Vi, and she contacts Leia at the beginning before she's captured. But you, you get more about the mindset of the First Order and how they're operating uh, with the Stormtroopers and such. So in Like Bloodline, you get characters in both books that I hope show up on the show in cameos or whatever. Maybe they show up in Episode 9, too, to kind of pay some things off. But whereas Bloodline was about the New Republic, what that was like, and uh, how the Resistance was started, Phasma is a great look at uh, the First Order. Without getting into more detail, I really think that's about it. Um, But I felt it was important to recommend 
both of these. If you have the time, try to uh, get into them before uh, the resistance starts in October. You can, depending on how good, of a, how fast of a reader you are, you can do them fairly quickly. Uh, I listen to each of them on audio with, within a week because I have at least two hours a day that I can do that. You can always speed it up. Sometimes I've done that with books that, not necessarily Star Wars books, but just books that were kind of boring me. But I think that's it for a book review. Again, I am going to do join the Resistance to see if there's any clues we can get for the show out of those, and I'll report on them. I'm not sure what the next podcast will entail. Hopefully we'll get more Resistance news. Maybe we'll get a longer trailer or more information about the characters, in which case I will do a podcast. The next planned one will probably involve the Poe Dameron comic series because it takes place right up to The Force Awakens and beyond with some flashbacks set just after Last Jedi so where we see uh, Ray with the books on the Millennium Falcon and stuff like that. So I hope to have the Poe series finished up by about this time next month in September and it'll still be before the show starts I will wrap it up Uh, again you can find me on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter just search Radio Dakar it's at Radio Dakar on Twitter R-A-D-I-O-D-Q-A-R please feel free to leave feedback Um, any suggestions or questions you have I'll try to address on a future podcast until next time happy reading and may the force be with you